Here we go. Um, there's a lot of really exciting work being done in research into the role and the mechanisms behind human emotion. Uh, probably some of the most uh, interesting neuroscientists of our day, Damasio, Ledoux, Alan Shore, um, teams led by researchers like Brazelton, etc., are doing uh, really, really fascinating work. And um, I'd like to review some of it and the way it plays into Buddhist practice and the way it plays into the goal of spiritual practice, which is sustaining uh, happiness or serenity in our lives. So, to start, we have primary and secondary emotions. This you're probably aware of. Uh, primary emotions are the oldest, they are the most immediate, and they are the ones that arise quickest after an event. They're rooted in the midbrain and its uh, focus on keeping us alive. And so the oldest roots of emotions are in noting, in general, threats to our survival and opportunities. The basic for, uh, in general, are fear, anger, sadness, happiness. Some would add shock as well. And those emotions are transcultural. You'll see them across the globe, and you'll see the physical expression of those key four emotions are pretty similar across cultures. Also, they are similar across historical eras. So, the older and the more primary our emotions are, the less they are prone to cultural variation, the more quicker they arise. Also, primary emotions are the ones that arise in the human lifespan first. They are the first emotions we see in infants. They are, of course, because they are rooted less in the prefrontal lobe and more in the midbrain, which is immediately up and running after birth. So after um, a while in life and over the course of our uh, social, uh, socialization and our cultural influences, we develop secondary emotions. So what starts off as uh, sadness might in turn turn into grief, uh, fear could turn into worry, uh, happiness into contentment or affection. So the emotions start to show cultural influences. Happiness is a transcultural emotion as its primary, but the way people experience or express uh, affection change from one culture to the next. So secondary emotions are uh, more, have a more specific social flavor. Uh, are you following me on this? So, um, and in our reactions, because the primary emotions are rooted deeply in the survival mechanisms of the brain, they will rise first. And then, the longer an emotion goes, 
it will then disperse into secondary or t even tertiary emotions. <clears throat> the role of emotions are, without question, to signal to ourself and to other people our states of being. We express emotions less to keep other people away than to actually seek secure bonds with people around us. At first, an infant signals and makes its connection with the caretaker, the mother or the father, directly through glance, body expression, facial expression, uh, any kind of physical movement, and the way the mother receives these signals is by attunement, locking her glance in with the infant, and then empathy, which is feeling the, a little bit of the infant's delight and signaling it back. This is really important because um, for the first two years of life, not only are we establishing our significant communications with other people through the expression of emotions, not through language, not through ideas, but in the first two years of life, your right hemisphere is actually being formed by these experiences you have, expressing emotions, having them read. In these back and forth, your right hemisphere is being formed. Some scientists like Alan Shore suggest that uh, literally an infant is borrowing its mother or father's right hemisphere, literally imprinting it into their own, and that these patterns, the expectations that we develop from these early interactions are what play out in our relational lives as we grow older. This is why changing our deepest emotional tendencies in romantic relationships, for example, is so, so difficult because it's formed at a point of life that is both pre-linguistic and before we even have a large degree of conscious awareness. So, I'm not saying that our relational pa patterns can't be undone, but the work is very complicated. So, why do, what are the other advantages we have besides securing a connection with our caretakers that express our state so that we can express when we're hungry, express when we're frightened, express when we're content. It's very important that our caretakers know that when we're infants. So this ability to signal our states to our caretakers directly affects our feelings of how, uh, uh, how safe we are in the world. An infant that feels very well connected and read by its caretaker later on in life will feel empowered to investigate the world. An infant that feels insecure will cling to the mother rather than go off and play with other children in its initial forays into a playground. A child that has virtually no 
consistent uh, uh, emotional messaging, uh, perhaps because the mother is self or father is self-involved or narcissistic, that child often grows up to be avoidant because it hasn't gotten very much out of deep human communication. So, but then as we grow older, we get other needs met. We communicate unconsciously our emotions uh, for two reasons. We look for vitalization, which is somebody to help us sustain happiness and enthusiasm and elation uh, rather than uh, making that state to be one that could turn into anxiety. Uh, so vitalization is important because we're all actually, uh, when good things are empowering or promising events happen in life, there's an, a, a tendency to also have a sense of anxiety about if we should be elated, if we should feel good about it. And so we seek other people to uh, help us sustain and keep our excitement at a sustainable pitch. Not, you know, too much. Like, bring out, you know, a cocaine and the, you know, <laughs> yeah! But, uh, but elated. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, when we are despondent, we seek other people to help us moderate or what's known as soothe those states. When we are in encountering times of separation, loss, uh, isolation, loneliness, we need other people to temper those states or else we become very, very dysregulated very quickly and that can lead into extremely uh, difficult states that are very difficult to repair. Uh, as human beings, our ability to self-regulate our emotions is fairly limited. The only documented practice that we know for sure works is known in, in Buddhism as mindfulness or sati, the ability to create a safe container somatically to allow difficult or uh, emotions that we find uh, difficult to be with to arise and to hold them without uh, literally acting them out. Acting out an emotion is different from being aware or expressing it. Acting out an emotion, for instance, if I'm angry, acting it out is kicking a wall or shouting at someone. Expressing it is saying I'm feeling uh, just all this heat, I'm feeling deeply upset, wounded, I'm feeling like I, I just want to run away. Um, acknowledging it is being aware of the energy of anger in my body. It's not getting lost in the story of why I should be angry, it's simply feeling it in the body somatically. So what we want to avoid is the tendency to act out which, unfortunately, it's been documented over and over again that acting out emotions does not actually in any way help us regulate, process, or learn how to 
be with them, it's acting out an emotion as an unconscious attempt to propel or push out or get rid of an emotion. Expressing it or learning to acknowledge are actually about processing emotions, which is not about getting rid of. It's about learning how to be with. And yet, in our lives, because so often, whether it's in early childhood with our caretakers or in our early forays into uh, schoolyards and classrooms and other institutional settings, we experience rejections and shamings and abandonments and ostracization. And, and so we begin to try to get rid of our emotions because we find them to be inconvenient very often. Some emotions, for example, lead to rejection from our parents. Um, in my family, growing up with Russian immigrants, uh, they didn't like disappointment very well. It means that they had failed in their desire to to climb up the American, you know, the ladder, I guess there's somewhere a ladder out there in the world that every Russian talks about climbing. Uh, I never found it, but my parents were pretty much uh, on it, I guess. And um, <clears throat> so they didn't tolerate that very well. Also, other emotions we don't like in ourselves are the ones that we don't tolerate very well, are the ones that our parents couldn't express but in, in fact acted out. My dad was a rageaholic, a violent drunk, and so I, for a long time, felt anger very, very difficult to hold. I had an immediate desire to get rid of anger when I felt it because all of the instances I saw in my childhood where basically anger was not safe. Of course, I didn't see the times that my parents successfully uh, expressed anger because it was so few. Most of the time, my, my uh, mother would just go and hide if she was angry with us, and my dad would just start tearing up rooms and uh, creating havoc. So... The, once again, the emotions that aren't received by our caretakers or the ones that our caretakers didn't know how to safely express are the ones that we find the most difficult to express and hold and are the ones that we try to suppress. Suppress meaning we either try to drink, get high, shop, turn on the TV, go to Facebook, do anything but feel the emotion to, dis to get rid of it. Now, these strategies of suppression, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's part of the job of a Buddhist, is to give you the bad news before the good, uh, is that suppressed emotions don't go away. Yeah, they don't. Uh, to give you a list of what they do do instead, uh, I made a partial list. They displace, which means you, somebody you work for, you don't feel the permission to talk back or say when their demands are inappropriate, so instead you come home and you take out the frustration on a loved one or on an animal you love or uh, on someone that you feel some state uh, of greater ease to express 
the emotion. That's called displacement. Rationalization means we begin to replace our emotions with thinly disguised uh, ideas that in no way are uh, um, capable of sustaining a happy human endeavor. For example, uh, we go through a breakup and then somebody might say, eh, I'm better off without her anyway. Yeah, like that. Uh, that rationalizing away, ah, I didn't need that job anyway, fuck them, you know. I'm fine. Um, withdrawal is unattended disappointment that can turn into a fear of putting ourselves out to be creative, to show people our work, to speak up, to uh, express ourselves. Projection is when we uh, don't allow ourselves to feel, for example, guilt, and then we project those things that we've done onto other people. So, for example, if we uh, cheat in a relationship, we might suspect our partner or, or of cheating, or if we steal, we might then suppress the guilt and allow it to become uh, uh, displaced by thinking that, well, everybody steals. That's just the way of the world. So none of these strategies work. They keep us more and more isolated, more and more out of touch with, uh, between the mind and the body, we become less and less aware of the messages that we're sending and more and more prone of suddenly bursting out with displays of completely unregulated, acted-out emotions. <coughs> so, given this, uh, we, we all have this... As we grow older, we begin to develop body mastery and we try to... Um, uh, conceal our emotions, and we go around unconsciously, even over time, trying to, without realizing it, legislate other people's emotional responses to life. For instance, we see somebody who's pregnant, and I've heard people go up to pregnant people and say, oh, you must be so excited. And maybe they are, but if I had a fucking bean growing in my fucking abdomen... I'd be fucking terrified as well. I'm fucking seen alien, right? That shit is fucking terrifying. No, I'm serious. I mean, seriously, though, you gotta, like, I read somewhere that it cost a quarter of a million dollars to raise a kid in New York City to, to get it to fucking college, and then you're really bankrupt. <laughs> I'm amazed that, that pregnant women aren't taking massive amounts of Xanax all the time. But we know, we expect them to be, oh, you must be so excited. What about asking them, you know, aren't you a little terrified, you know, concerned? What, you know, be a little human about it. When somebody's in a relationship, oh, that's great. Well, maybe, but maybe they're also fucking wanting to escape as well, you know. Cohabitating means suddenly you're sharing all your shit with somebody else. They might want to watch something else. 
on fucking TV. They might not want to watch the show you want to watch. They might want to wake up at a different time. They might want to read in bed. <laughs> so, is that always great? Is that always great news? Not necessarily. We might have quite a number of emotions, and that's just it. Try as we would like to fit into the expected and the socially demanded. Our emotions don't flow in the ways that the most of the uh, the cultural hegemonic uh, ways we've been shown emotions are supposed to flow. When the big news happens in life, it doesn't always turn out emotionally simple. In fact, we have a lot of different incompatible emotional responses. When my mother died, the, uh, I remember people who didn't know me very well said, oh, you know, you must be despondent. And I was sad, but my mother had been a vegetable in a hospital bed, completely incapable of talking for more than a decade. A feeling I had was very much one of relief as well as sadness. You know, we don't... The, the truth is, is that the big journey in life isn't a neat emotional affair. It's filled with incompatible emotions. With loss, we can feel a sense of relief and mourning and sadness and confusion. Sometimes we can feel liberated in terms of we can suddenly be free of something that was costing enormous worry. And yet... In our own lives and in the way we interact with people, we kind of cue them what we expect. This is why <clears throat> the best comedians uh, are and the best art is always the ones that show surprising emotional responses. My favorite moment recently on TV was in the show Louie. And Louis is a great comedian, Louis C.K. And, and in, in real life, he's got two children, and he bases his show on, on real-life events. And on the show, the, you know, the actress playing one of his like, eight-year-old daughters says to him, you know, I like it so much more at mommy's house than in your house. And then she turns and stomps away, and he goes like this. <laughs> and in one instance, all of our, all of our presupposed, you know, the laws that parents have to only love their children. Now, obviously, part of parenting is finding ways to give safe outlets to the fact that there's not only love, there's also times of frustration, anger, worry, concern, doubt. And so we need these human outlets. We can't be limited to just these expectations that we should only be elated or only be happy or only fit what's expected of us.
The Buddha had a wonderful analogy. Uh, he called the first noble truth, and another analogy, the first arrows that we get shot with. And these are inevitable. We have nothing to do with them. They get shot into us by the world. And so we, are, we have our, you know, not only, the Buddha said, aging, sickness, death, but we also have sorrow, lamentation, despair, grief. You know, we have other emotional uh, responses. And then there's these second arrows we shoot into ourselves, which are not only why is this happening to me, but also the desire to suppress, get rid of, why do I feel this way? Everybody else seems like they're happy. Why do I experience sadness or misery or discomfort or, or worry? And that belief that our emotions are unusual, are unique, that we can't hold them, because they'll take us over. Those are the second arrows we shoot into ourselves. So the work that we do here is to not fetishize or conceal or, or pent up and then act out, but in our practice is made up of two very important tools. The ability to risk being vulnerable with one another and express not only the expected, but also that which is difficult to express because it's been rejected, because we find it difficult, because we've never seen in our families this emotion safely accepted. And the other tool is to learn how to map and hold our emotions in our bodies during our meditation so that we can have some self-regulation. It's worth noting that the Buddha's entire spiritual journey began when he wanted to investigate how to regulate his relationships with the inevitabilities of life, the old age, sickness, and death. He saw just nothing but aversion, and he wanted to figure out, out a way both to explore those emotions and learn how to be with them without acting out, running away from old age, sickness, and death, running and clinging towards that which is always young and beautiful. So, if you don't know what's coming now, what I'd like you to do is to split up into groups of four people,